Hi, I'm Sean Horn, founder and CEO of BeBell.ie. So what is BeBell? Well, it's a place of positivity. It's a place where you can be happy, be kind, be bold, feel supported and encouraged to fulfill your dreams. So join us on social at BeBell.ie for future events and upcoming podcasts. Hello and welcome to BeBell Podcast with myself, Sean Horn. Today I'm joined by Ireland's top wedding event caterer, Orla McAndrew. We chatted all things her passion for food. We talked about her history um, and her time in London, which I loved. And I know you're going to really enjoy this one. So welcome. So today I am over the moon to have the number one caterer for weddings in Ireland, the fabulous Orla McAndrew. How are you, Orla? I'm great, Shan. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's a beautiful day outside. Um, so that makes the day always nicer, doesn't it? And it's the end of the week, which is fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely. So Orla, um, we're going to talk all about the woman behind the business today. And you know, Bebel is all about you. So where did it all begin? Um, that's such a great, great question. It all began in County Roscommon. A long, long time ago, Shan. Well, not as <laughs> um, <as> <laughs> so I was born in Roscommon um, and moved to London in 1989. And at that point, I'd already lived in a couple of different houses. So we did a lot of moving around when I was a, a child. Yeah. Um, I'm one of four kids and I have, um, we're, we're all very close. I have an amazing mom and she's like our best friend, all four of us. And uh, my dad is estranged, really. Um, so, yeah, we moved over to London to follow him, basically, in 89. And, uh, yeah, that was a baptism of fire. That was, that was strange and odd and new and, um, and different. So How I think... How old it, were you all when you moved? I was 10, 10 okay. years old. So quite young, but quite young, but actually at 10, we, we you know, we, 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 we're kind of coming into ourselves, aren't we? It's that age, they say from, from eight years old, things stop becoming black and white and, and, and you start to think in a different way. So as you were growing up, I suppose, in Roscommon, like, I suppose, what, what floated your boat as a young child? What did, what did you love to do with, with your sisters and your brothers? Do you have brothers or just sisters? I have two brothers and my, my baby sister came along when I was seven. So she was the biggest joy of my life. Oh my God. I was just, I remember throwing myself down on the floor and like rolling around in rapture when I heard it was a girl. <laughs> I was just so delighted. Um, so yeah, we, I don't remember a huge amount about what we did. I suppose we, we lived in the countryside, so we would have played a lot together and stuff. Um, I do remember, I do remember be, feeling a lot older than I was always as a child. Um, and I think that that might have came from the fact that there was probably a bit of trouble at home. Like my dad, my dad would have been a gambler. Okay. So, so um a lot of our, a lot of what went on at home would have been kind of ruled by his mood, depending on whether he won or lost, basically. So I've, I remember at a very like six or seven kind of plotting and planning with my mum, like, how would we get rid of this fella? <laughs> say, did you did you understand where his good and bad moods were coming from? Did you know at that age that he was a gambler or, or did you just yeah. think 
yeah okay yeah we knew he was a gambler it was very and it was the reason we moved around a lot as well he was you know it's it's funny actually talking about him now because it's only in the last couple of years that I've been able to reach out and start a bit of a relationship with him because as a grown woman now with my own children I can kind of forgive and understand that he didn't have the best upbringing but at the time when you're a child and you're relying on you know you you want you obviously expect your parents to be the best that they can be for you and I, I can cannot fault my mother she's just absolutely the most sensational woman anyone will ever meet and anyone that knows her to know her is to love her 100 she's just the best crack the best heart she's just absolutely amazing but I suppose she had to make she made up for she made up for my dad not being so brilliant yeah basically um, and, and your relationship obviously changed then at a young age like if you were scheming together the mother, yeah. mother and daughter that's a real that's a real friendship and a real you know close close relationship we were we were were and are exceptionally close like she is absolutely my best friend in the whole wide world always has been um but it's and again as you grow older and you're looking back and you're like how in the name of god was I scheming and plotting that at seven years old you know you don't realize yourself you're you're only a child at the time um but yeah we've had I just I just I think where it all began for me is my mom basically she's just an incredible force of a woman she's a workhorse when we that time when we moved to London she would have had four or five different jobs and she kept the you know she kept the show on the road the whole time and actually one of those little jobs that she had um, was called Gertie's Apple Pies so she took off one day to some of the five-star hotels in London with her apple tart under in her basket and uh, knocked on the back doors. And that time there was no big health and safety regulations and her tarts were amazing. So she was started supplying some of the five-star hotels on the Cromwell Road. Um, and it grew and grew and grew so much so that when we come home from school every day, we just, that was it, we peeled apples <laughs> all day, every day. So she was amazing. Like she just, and, and that she also, she went on from there and had like, it was, for all intents and purposes, a burger van in the Kentish Town Market. But she was doing full, like, three-course sit-down meals. Yeah, love it. <laughs> so, yeah, she's amazing. Amazing woman. And Absolutely. That, so that was a big, huge move for you, though, at that age. Yeah, ten, you know, as I say, like, it's that, it's that growing time, isn't it? And that's for children between sort of eight and ten, where they start seeing things very differently. So to move from the countryside in Ireland and to move to London... Is, is a big change. It was absolutely huge. And actually I was so, oh, I was so innocent that I genuinely thought when I went over to London, I was going to see people in bowler hats, carrying umbrellas I, I and wearing Victorian clothes. And Mary Poppins. <laughs> yeah. I genuinely, genuinely thought that. And it was such a, oh, it was a, such a baptism of fire when I got there and the innocence was ripped clean out of me within a couple of weeks because people were just so much more advanced than I was and I wasn't ready for it at all so I remember always being very unsure of myself and kind of feeling like the new kid all the time um so it was difficult I found that really difficult and I had like I look at my own my three children now and they're three very different kiddies and I can identify with elements of all three of them so like my eldest is a pure performer and she loves the stage and she's a singer and a dancer and that that was so me. Um, but then when 
I see my little middle one and she's so shy and she doesn't want anyone looking at her. And I identify with that as well, because I suppose when you, when you're not, when you don't feel safe and secure as a kid, you kind of numb down that other, that, that carefree part of you. And then I look at my third one, who's an absolute joker, trickster, doesn't care about anything. And I identify with that as well. So like, it's hard to say what you're like as a child because you're, it depends on your environment and who you're with and who you're surrounded by. But I do remember never feeling comfortable and confident to me to be my true self as a, and I think that's typical for a lot of kids. I think so too. And I think some of us are really fortunate to meet maybe somebody that brings the best that out of us. Mm-hmm. Um, like, did you have a teacher that tried to Do you know what I had was a fabulous, fabulous best friend. The first day of school, this girl sat down beside me and she was just wild and loud and cracked. And she she took one look at me and she said, I think we'll be best friends. And I just said, "Okay," (laughs) (laughs) nearly out of fear. But she was the best thing that ever happened to me. And she was she was a popular girl and she spent her, you know, the whole school life with me as her bestie. And that was my little my little umbrella and my you know my it got me through school basically she was the best crack she totally got me and I was comfortable with her and so kind of with her by my side I was able to deal with the rest of it power in numbers it's it's still yeah it works for us all the time and it never ever stops but what what did you really enjoy was there elements of school I know you talked about before about your oldest daughter being the 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 theatrical and the performer. Yeah, I absolutely loved any opportunity whatsoever to be on the stage. Um, and there was great freedom in it. And I it just, I was this shy little girl who probably people couldn't work out. But the minute I was on stage, I forgot about, all about that. And I loved that I used to do like the pantos in the Waterman's Art Centre in Brentford there every year. Um, and at school, if there was any opportunity, I was first with my hand up. <laughs> so I loved all that and I think as well I was probably it's really funny looking back but I was I was quite academic without knowing it so like I remember at parent teacher meetings the parent the teachers would always say to my parents god she's very bright and I I had I didn't believe that at all so I thought they were saying that sort of to make me feel better for not being so bright I don't know I just didn't I didn't believe it and I flew through all my exams and, you know, flew through it. It all came easy, but I, I, do, I don't know. I just never, I didn't ever believe that I was particularly bright at anything. I just loved the stage. It's strange, isn't it? Because you're saying, you know, I flew through my exams. They tell me that I'm bright. So what, what do you think stopped you from believing that? Um, again, this is something that I've asked myself as a parent now, because you try to work out what's going on in a child's mind. But I think... I think that I was told from such a young age, so often, you're so bright, you're so bright, you're so bright, that I felt, and I think this is crazy, but I felt like they were saying it to make up for the fact that I wasn't, because I felt like, why do they need to say this to me all the time? So I actually take that now in my parenting, and I don't go around telling my kids, you're beautiful, you're gorgeous, you're wonderful, you're, I don't tell them anything, I let them work it out for themselves, because I think it can be a bit damaging well it was I genuinely feel it was for me to be taught and like no fault to my poor mother who was doing her best to instill confidence in me but I actually think it had the complete opposite effect 
Isn't that weird? It, it, but it's it's your feeling, so it's yeah. not weird. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, your it's a bit weird, but it makes sense. Yeah, but I, I just wonder where it stemmed from because most of the time if somebody's told something, it affirms to them and gives them the confidence to believe in something, whereas it did the, had the opposite effect for you, didn't it? It did. Um, I suppose the, I sub, it's probably because of that uncertainty that I grew up around as well like the never knowing what the mood was going to be, that kind of grey cloud that was ready to loom at any stage. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of that uncertainty and feeling of, yeah, feeling of that, that unsure feeling. So combination of all of that, I suppose, and probably being really bright and being bright enough to think, why are they telling me that? <laughs> you know, you know, so I was questioning and looking at a deeper level all the time, probably. Yeah, they... And, and I and I do get it. And it's we all what people say to us, I think, as, as children stays with us a lot. I suppose what I'm interested in is you, you mentioned earlier that you followed your dad to London. So when you moved to London, did your your parents were together? So we we I, I'll say <laughs> this is how I tell the story, but we got rid of him in 87. <laughs> <laughs> and then um two years later and I couldn't believe it at the time but my like obviously they weren't actually separated he was just had gone over to London like a lot of Irish guys at the time um, and it was a bit of a disaster because it ended up that my mum who was at home with four of us was sending money over to him to support him now I'll be killed for saying this but anyway that's what happened so she thought to herself she was as well to be over there earning money um rather than earning it at home and and sending it over so that's how we ended up moving over and like, and to this day, she still have the best to crack with him. He was very gregarious, charming, lovely guy. And she, of course she loved him. I can see that now. Um, but yeah, we followed him over. And for me, it was just, it was horrendous. I hated the whole notion of it. And I was very, very sick straight away. I had my appendix out and I had this, that and the other. And it was just a total physical reaction to the, the trauma of <laughs> having to face into a completely new life. And, you know, leaving your friends behind and going over to this guy who I didn't particularly like so yeah, yeah. and, and I, I wondered how that made you feel because you spoke about scheming with your mum to, mm-hmm. to make your life better and then you ended up back together yeah uh, like how did I know obviously you had a physical reaction to it but how did that did you speak about it oh we spoke about it all the time and actually I remember eventually they did um, separate when I was 14 and it was just just before my 14th birthday and I remember saying to mom um I don't want anything else I do not want anything else for my birthday or and I'll forsake all other presents in the future please we, we've got to leave them you know we've got to leave the poor woman like she was under so much pressure from her kids as well and of course yeah like when you become an adult and you realize she did love him as well but she left him for us because it wasn't healthy and you know it wasn't wasn't good for any of us we were all stressed and had psoriasis and anxiety and this that and the other um and I just admire her so much for doing that it was just the bravest on her own in London four children you know so brave and uh, yeah she's an amazing woman it shows massive and huge strength and did things change for you then could you see a difference after that Instantly. instantly Yeah, instantly. Um, Even, yeah, 
I remember my mom had headaches all the time up to that point. And of course it was stress and tension. They were gone. Life changed completely. We didn't, we just didn't have that cloud hanging over us. It was such um, an, an immense thing that happened in all of our lives. And it was, it was, it was brilliant. It was sad as well because it's your dad at the end of the day. And, you know, as much as it was hard work, we all loved him and we, we actually spent the next couple of years trying to reach out and trying to have a relationship, but he was so bloody useless, the creator, that he wasn't even able to do that for us or for himself. And it's only now as he's really aging and realizing what he's missed, that he's prepared to, you know, commit to actually engaging with us. And we're having great crack now. We're having great chats and he's seen the kids and he's having video calls and all that kind of thing. And I think it's absolutely lovely. Um, it's very, it's, sad as well but it's great that we've got to to that part point and I suppose for me you have to take the positive of it that you had the time to be able to come back to this because because for some people they don't ever get that second chance yeah absolutely and this is it's probably the fifth sixth or seventh chance that he has had but you know it's we're very it's very important life is so short he is a product of whatever he went through and experienced as a child he was never equipped to be a father really and I suppose he did the best that he could and it's it's becoming a mother myself has been really healing um sorry (laughs) now You're fine. Um, fine. And listen, I, 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 you know, I completely get it. Um, my dad had problems. Unfortunately, we lost him. Um, yeah. Get the second chance and, and never got to meet his family. Yeah, it's very sad. Um, anyway, that's, that's a big part of my story, I suppose. Um, but my mom actually met a lovely guy only two years later amazing gorgeous French man who is our pappy um and he's the best grandfather that my kids could ever wish for he literally lives for them he he is at their level 100% of the time all of the time and he just they live for him he lives for them and he's an amazing stepdad and an amazing husband to my mom and everything that she deserved so there's there was light at the end of that tunnel too there's always, there's all, you know, if, I, I always say out of everything, any disaster or anything sad comes great joy or yeah. or, or something, something new flourishes. And isn't that lovely for your mum that, that that happened for her? And we all yeah. like Frenchmen. Who <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>, la la. <laughs> <laughs> so at that age, I suppose, you know, your dad goes at 14, you're, you're in school. That's the, the age in, in the UK where we're, we're trying to decide what we want for our future as yeah. we come to, you know, the school finishing for us at 16 before we go to college. Where were you at in your head? Um, totally lost, to be honest. And I was still in that zone of not believing that I was very bright or, you know, that are capable. So looking back now, I really do believe because I, I've come into myself and I've come into my own skin. I do believe I probably could have done absolutely anything, but I aimed quite low because I didn't, I didn't believe that or see that. So I, 
and I, and also I was fairly truant a lot as a as a, a teenager in school so that probably cut my options down as well um but I remember doing a I went to the co- Richmond College first and did a business and tourism thing okay what year did you go to Richmond College because I went to Richmond College uh would have been 96 okay <laughs> only, I, I was gonna say only only 10 years after me <laughs> went to Richmond College I loved Richmond College so did I it was great crack loved it and the campus was great and we had the best best time it was just fabulous um and I went on I I was really good at language just naturally good at languages as well so I did French and Italian and I did oh yeah I started a, a degree in business and international French or international business and French um and did two years of that before moving home to Cork eventually because my mom came home with her new husband and my little sister, who was my 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 joy, so I um I decided to come straight home with them without really thinking about how I was going to you know continue the course or any of that stuff. I just upped and left and worked it all out after that. Then it's so weird though because you even you started that conversation with saying because I didn't believe I aimed low, so I did this French in business ecom, <laughs> and I'm like that's not aiming low. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what. It was, it was that I was, it was easy for me. So there okay. was no, there was no challenge in it. And I knew I could do it with my eyes closed. So that's that what I mean. Comparative, that is because you were smart and you could do that. Like I aimed what was easy for me. I did dance and theatre studies. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And then <laughs> left when they told me how to write an essay. <laughs> I thought I would just be telling jokes on stage. But, um, so it is comparative. So how do you feel now? You know, when you when you think about how you speak about those times and, and that I didn't, be, you know, you didn't believe yet you you didn't you didn't aim low. You aimed where you thought was easy. But what you think is easy is not easy for so many. Uh, yeah, I, I, I suppose. And I and I kind of understand that a little bit more now. Um but it took me a very long time, Shan. Like it took me all of my life. And I was, you know, I, I was listening to something that uh, Loretta Kennedy said some recently in her Urban Sacred, you know, that's it. Not, I'm not doing any more courses. I am qualified enough. And that rang so true for me because I have spent my whole life in college and I've spent my whole life chasing that feeling of I am enough. Um, and I'm so I was so overqualified I'm so so qualified in so many things but I never felt like I was qualified to be anything but it's only now that I realize looking back that all of those journeys I was on all of those courses I took led me to exactly where I was supposed to be and it's just it's actually I get really emotional (laughs) talking about that too because it was so powerful This realization that came over me a couple of years ago, um, I was actually very depressed at the time um, because I felt, oh, my God, I'm hitting for 40 now. I still don't know what I'm going to do. I've done all these courses. I've wasted all my money and all my time. Um, I'm a mom now with nothing to show for any of it. You know, I was in a very bad, low place. um, And I had an absolute epiphany. One day I just... I was out for a walk trying to clear my head and I said to myself, nobody is undervaluing you. Nobody is stopping you from being your best self. And the only person who can change this is you. 
And no joke, the very next day, I met a woman in a park. And she said, she was a complete random stranger. Um, she was a friend of a friend. And she said, I'm getting married in six weeks. And I can't find a caterer. And I just, it was like, <laughs> it was like the heavens opened. And I just jumped at the opportunity. God, I have to stop crying. <laughs> Hold on now. Um, and I said, I can do that. Normally me. You're making me. I said, I can do that. Um, and it was just, and I knew in my bones that I could, even though I'd never done anything like it before. I knew it was the sign that I had allowed to come into my life. And um, it was the most powerful, singular moment of my life to date. And, you know, it's so funny because um, I think when you clear the decks, when you open yeah. yourself up, when you manifest the situation, it does just come to you, doesn't it? And oh. that's just proof that it can happen. It's complete and utter proof because from that very moment on, everything in my life improved. Absolutely everything. All of my relationships, my relationship with myself, um, my relationship with my husband, my children, everything improved and got better and I saw the waters clearing and parting for me to step into myself and it I've I've been stepping every step of the way since that's three years ago but actually this last year in particular has been incredible for me um just because I was able to look back and see how far I'd come see the joy that I felt every day in this job that I'd created for myself um seeing my my kitchen being built outside all from money that I'd earned doing something that I love to do. Um, and then realistically as well, following you, meeting you online, following you, um, meeting Virginia and the girls in Up She Rises and having my mind opened to the potential of women. And really in the beginning when I met you guys, I was in complete and utter awe and didn't feel like I had any right to be in your company. That's how low I was really. And I realize now that everybody has right to a place at the table. So you didn't feel like you had a seat at the yeah. table. So I didn't feel like I had any place at that table, but in the last year, I've realized that absolutely everybody has a place at the table, that you know, you're the only one who'll ever get in your own way. And that once you stop worrying about what other people think, because nobody's actually thinking about you. That was the most empowering thing I've ever heard in my life. And it was Nikki Hoyne on one of your classes. And it actually changed my life. So, yeah, I actually remember that it was the first, I think it was the second meeting of the club. And yeah. with Nikki Hoyne on and she said, you know, just remember, no one actually is, is watching. No one cares what you're doing. Yeah. It was the most empowering. I mean, it's so obvious, <laughs> but it was the first time I really felt it in my bones. And it was the freedom I was looking for, because up to that point, I was ridiculously nervous and shy on camera and worried about what other people thought. And also that feeling of being a little bit underqualified to do what I was doing. All of that was hanging around that imposter syndrome thing. And when I realized that everyone else is too busy living their own life and being their best selves, it was just, it was just phenomenal. It changed everything for me. And also I'm the world's most 
no more than yourself actually but I'm so genuinely encouraging of other people and I love to see other people's triumphs and you know when they're trying and I I just thought I had a realization one day turn that in on yourself you deserve that too and it's just oh I've just had the most incredible year of growth personally um and I've never been happier and I'm still on a journey and I'm still learning and growing all the time but I'm truly truly happy in myself and content in myself but I mean if there's a lesson to be learned if you look at whether you know you said you know when you met that woman you were finally doing what you were ready to do it was your passion it made you happy to do it I think people make the mistake a lot of the time not fulfilling their passions and doing things that they think is the right thing to do but you've got to feed you haven't you feed your own soul and your own love I think life is far too short to do something that doesn't absolutely ignite and excite you. And there has to be something for everybody. And it is just about being brave enough and kind enough to yourself to say, I deserve to do what makes me happy. I know it's not necessarily as easy as that for everybody, but you should take time out. And if it's not in your job, then make it in your in your hobby or make it in you know, what you spend the rest of your time doing if it can't be in your job. But we really need to spend our time doing the things that make us happy. And that's where the magic happens. And I think it's remembering what table you want to sit on. Like you mentioned earlier. Are you there, Shan? I am. You mentioned earlier not feeling like you were ready to sit at the table. But actually, it may have been the wrong tables that you were looking to sit at. If you're not at a table of people that respect you and value you, then it's not the table for you. It really is that simple. And um, so it's finding the, the right people and the right arena to be in, isn't it? A hundred percent. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's finding that and that gives you the freedom to realise that you have as much right as anybody else to be there. Absolutely. And so, I mean, obviously, I've watched your journey over the last uh, year and a half. And like, if there isn't anything that you haven't put your hand to, it's unbelievable between care packages and charity work and amazing weekend um, food for people. And it was just amazing everything that you do. But we're just about to go back into your true passion as well as, as the country opens up and weddings go back. Like, what is this last sort of the diverse things you've done over the last year set you up ready to go back to be to be in where you need to be. And that's like the number one caterer for weddings in the country. Do you know what it's done for me the last year and a half? Everything that I've tried and done and all that creativity, it has just made me without trying without being egotistical. It's made me prouder and prouder and prouder of myself. And it's made me know that this is exactly where I need to be. I'm damn good at what I do. I'm doing it with utter passion and love. Um, I make huge connections with people. Like most of my customers are now on WhatsApp with me, you know, <laughs> like I'm, I think, I, I just think that because I know that this is what I'm meant to do, it's going to happen for me. And pe- ev- everyone's a winner <laughs> because I am bloody good at what I do. So if, if you're hiring me for your wedding, you're absolutely guaranteed to get the best in the business and have you started planning for how your business will evolve and look in the future because obviously if you're doing back to weddings will other things give for you 
So I have, and I've actually started to hire people. And that was really, that was a nerve wracking decision to make because again, it was about believing in the power of where I was going. So already, and the, the reason I've been able to do so many creative things is that I have people in place now who can help me with other elements because it's not possible for one person to do all that I'm doing. Yeah. And it took me a while, while to realize that. So my freezer meals are, are going to keep going. So that care package idea for new moms or for, for whoever as a gift, I think good food is a fabulous gift. Um, and I really enjoy that. And it's something that has kept the business tipping over. So for as long as I can keep that going, I'm, I plan to keep that going. And then for the wedding side of things, I have a fantastic staff sitting in the, in the sidelines waiting to go. So it's, it's only going to, it's only going to get bigger and better. And I just can't wait for it. It's such exciting times, isn't it? I can fit, you can smell it. Yeah, <laughs> you really can. We can't, nobody can wait. We can't wait to just get going again, can we? No, we can't. And, and yeah, I think it's exciting times. And I'm glad to hear that you have given it that thought process because, you know, talking about looking after ourselves as well, yeah. we're not good to anybody unless we look after ourselves. So planning stuff like that is super important. Yeah, absolutely. And that's all been a learning this year as well. There's several very close burnouts there, um, but I'm a fast learner. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I don't make the same mistake twice. And this year has been, it's been like a five year boost. I, I've learned more in this year than I could have done if I'd had normal five years in my business. So it's been an absolute blessing in disguise for me. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. All of I want to thank you. I can't wait to see what comes next. Every, every time I turn on your Instagram, I'm like, oh my God, what's she doing now? Um, but you're just a Trojan and, and I can see where you got it from. Um, your mum obviously is a massive influence. But before we finish, I really want to go to the pot. Um, just a couple of questions that have been left by your predecessors. So I'm going to pick two. Oh, this is not easy me now <laughs> I'm going to get you to repeat that because um you cut out there for a second sorry I said take it easy with me oh. okay, well, luckily I don't write these so I can't take the blame so, the first one is a lovely one what song motivates you oh god anything by Fleetwood Mac okay yeah love Fleetwood Mac in terms of motivating me to work hard that is it put it on and I'm I'll be there for 14 hours solid and you're off. brilliant <laughs> this is a night this isn't it what is your greatest fear in life Ooh, um not fulfilling my potential and I think that is a really nice way to finish because that's a really good message um, and I hope that for everybody, um, that they do fulfill their potential and do what you did and really find their passion. Um, and everything you do, it just exudes happiness. And there's a reason for that. And, and we, we know the reason why. Thank you, Shan. Thanks so much for the opportunity.